Hello and welcome to the Be Well podcast. I'm still your host, Beth Husted, and I am really pleased to welcome two very special guests today who I will introduce shortly. But first, I can't, I wanted to give a bit of context around today's chat. So if you are a regular listener, then you'll have heard this already. But if you want to, you can skip back a few months. Um, when I had a couple of the lovely uh, colleagues from my team join and they just kind of it was like diversity awareness gave us a bit of an overview of neurodiversity we wanted to raise awareness of the topic we wanted to increase understanding of the terms and we wanted to make a nod to the kind of rightly growing awareness of the topic of neurodiversity and in that session I gave a little sneak peek that I was going to have some future guests on to talk in the future about lived experience and so here we are finally recording it i actually i really love our lived experience sessions and again you can listen back if you want to we've had them on mental health we've had them on to toxic masculinity we've had them on race and women in the workplace and today we have two i would like to say very lovely guests charlie pavitt and tiana scott and they're going to be talking about their kind of lived personal experience um of living with neurodivergence. So welcome both. Hi, Hi. thank you for having us. <laughs> so I'm always really incredibly conscious of how I word things when I'm talking about a topic that I don't personally have lived experience in. So I want to highlight from the start for listeners because I think I'm, I kind of put myself in the same boat here. I love it when I do these podcasts and learn more stuff and I love it when I have some knowledge to impart on this topic. But in this area, I'm not a subject matter expert. I just know the things that I've learned, which is a very small amount. And that's OK. It's absolutely fine to not know the best or the right way. Or, in fact, you know, if you realise that you've been doing something wrong, that's OK, too. What I want us to, this is a safe space in this podcast to kind of learn, get those, have those best intentions and, and show that willingness to learn. That's what we need in everyday experience with any of the lived experience podcasts. That's kind of the key takeaway. It's just accepting people for who they were, showing kindness, being accepting. And I might or might not use the right or wrong terms today, guys, if I do correct me. And I, I want to learn. That's that's the key thing for, for these particular sessions. So Charlie, Tiana, please correct me. Let me know if I use anything wrong um, or use any incorrect terminology, but it'd be great. I've given you a very big woo build up. So <laughs> uh, I'd love for you to both introduce yourself. Oh, thank you, Beth. Um, so hi, I'm Charlie. Um, I'm also known as Chatty Charlie and I've been a vocational rehab consultant here at Unum for nearly two years. Um, I absolutely love my role, uh, being able to make a difference and help people daily. Um, I do have neurodiversity uh, dyslexia as well. So um, it's sort of close to my heart being able to help people daily who may have had or be experiencing similar struggles to myself. And I'm Tiana. Um, I am the lead IND inclusion consultant um, for Unim UK. Um, I am much newer than Charlie. I've only been here since uh, September, so still still new by Unim standards. And I am, uh, well, I have ADHD and I also have um, dyscalculia. So not great with numbers, but better with words. And I'm a nurse by background and, um, and I'm 
a self-confessed adrenaline junkie and recovering people pe- people pleaser <laughs> <laughs> i'm a recovering people pleaser we had that guy at a session the other week didn't we charlie and he said i'm, an, I'm a recovering accountant <laughs> and he said he was doing and he's now doing like kind of well-being and coaching and it, obviously those two things don't technically go hand in hand um i love the adrenaline junkie and and charlie we wouldn't want you to be anything other than chatty specifically on a podcast so very well tuned to that so thanks guys and thank you also for sharing your diagnosis or the condition that you live with every day because um I didn't I didn't want to ask you guys to share but I think it does give a bit of authenticity when we're talking about the session so it is a pleasure I'm so pleased to have you both here thank you so firstly the reason we're talking about this topic it's getting a lot of airtime at the moment and it's not just because it's a new thing it's not just been invented neurodiversity has been around a long time but it's because the awareness of neurodiversity, neurodivergence, it's growing. It's been growing for some time now. And I just, I suppose I'm curious because um, we've we had a chat before, Charlie, and you said, oh, you know, how you felt at school and things. And actually, is this growing awareness a positive thing for, for both of you? Um, Tiana, there's an awful lot of awareness now. Lots of people are talking, lots of celebrities are talking about having ADHD. So, yeah, I suppose to start with you, Tiana, if you think this growing awareness is a positive thing or not. So I suppose for me, it's twofold. Um, I think it's a good thing because you're raising awareness of a broader spectrum of neurological or cognitive experiences. People are starting to have conversations about being more inclusive uh, generally of this. But I think neurodivergence is a term that's often used um, in the workplace and misunderstood by quite a lot of people. A phenomenon we're often seeing um, on social media at the moment is that um, individuals are often self-diagnosing as neurodivergent, but neurodivergence itself is is not a a diagnosis. Um, And it's also important to remember to get diagnosed as having a neurodivergence um, is is very complicated. And as you said, the the timelines um, for diagnosis for a lot of people is, is really ridiculously long. It's not not attainable and much of the discussion on social media tends to focus around ADHD um, because we're hearing celebrities talk about it as you said attention deficit disorder um, as as well as the hyperactive version the ADHD one that I've got and ASD which is the autism spectrum disorder so people are often not aware that neurodivergence as a term um, is inclusive of other invisible conditions like um, obsessive compulsive disorder um, generalized anxiety disorder dyslexia dyslexia dyspraxia, dyscalculia, get all my words up, um, and many more. Um, so it's essentially an umbrella term for conditions and traits um, that cause our brains to work in a slightly different way that is different from the majority of the population. So I think that's, yeah, for me, it's twofold. It's a good thing, but it's also n- not always a good thing, if that makes it's, sense. Is it is it becoming a bit of a term like a go-to term or a popular term or I'm going to put myself into these buckets and then that dilutes to an extent the individuals that really do need support yeah I, I think it can I it's certainly in my line of work I think some people will often use the term oh I'm neurodivergent or neurospicy as I like to say um and that isn't almost a badge of honour and an excuse for um, behaviour that's probably not very inclusive or not helpful in the workplace. So that for me is is one of an, is an issue that I deal with all the time, especially in my role. 
Um, but yeah, what are your thoughts, Charlie? <laughs> I fully agree with everything you said. Um, I feel that it has a positive impact or has had, sorry, a positive impact in relation to like the awareness side of things, celebrating our differences, um, having them open and honest conversations with people about neurodiversity in the workplace and also with like family and friends instead of feeling like the need to maybe hide away or be ashamed because you feel different. Um, But I do appreciate, again, the awareness is being raised on many different social media platforms platforms as well and um, so that can create some negativity in terms of like it may be looked as a trend every now and again by some people or oh, I've seen this TikTok for example um, I'm pretty much sure we're all on TikTok or I've watched a video at some point and it's people then sort of not also just self-diagnosing but then diagnosing others as well so that causes that difficulty of have I got a neurodiversity or um, am I showing traits or am I just having difficulties that are valid with or without the diagnosis as well? Um, And yeah, with the awareness being uh, raised, obviously the diagnostic wait times are a little bit longer and the resources are are limited. So it's having that positive and negative impact. And I think we've got a really key role in the workplace to be able to start that open communication and honest communication with our employees and colleagues that we work with to sort of discuss maybe it's okay to have difficulties and you don't always need a a diagnosis for that Um, but how can we support you more so it's helping us have them conversations and maybe not feel as isolated as I did maybe 10 years ago in school. I find that we have a really good role at the moment to be able to have them open and honest communications um, with colleagues, with friends, with family about um, difficulties we do have. Um, I know obviously resources are limited because of the the awareness getting heightened and a lot more people going forward for that testing. Um, but I think it does also help with um, for the differences I experienced in school was made to feel like something was wrong with me or that I was doing things wrong. And even though I said about 10 years ago I was in school I think that's uh, I think it was a little bit longer than that now but um, I do feel that if I had had this awareness when I was in school um, it may have helped a lot with my mental well-being and how what I thought about myself because for so many years it's took me a long time to get to the point where I am now where I'm accepting of myself I understand the difficulties I have but also I can help others have them conversations too in the role I'm in daily. I think you're right because I think there's probably a lot of individuals that have been living without any kind of diagnosis and therefore without any support or feeling that they understand why they are like they are and why they just feel a little bit square peg round hole type feeling um, and can lead to exacerbation of other kind of mental health conditions just because they feel incredibly like they're struggling so that's where the positive element of awareness is coming from um, and allowing people to to get that support sooner you know schools can look out more and make sure that kids are supported because not everybody learns in exactly the same way sitting in those chairs facing forward doing what they need to be doing and and we can really impact and a kid's performance at school and engagement and how they see themselves like you say Charlie but there's actually that we talked about this in the last podcast with those individuals that are either self-diagnosing or having a very short half an hour call with somebody that they've never met before potentially getting a a, a diagnosis or a, a misdiagnosis and that then because you, you, you can you can't maintain your medication if you get medication through private medical you can't translate that diagnosis through to NHS the NHS won't accept it because it's not a comprehensive enough assessment so then the individual is stuck 
having to fork out for a private medical medication prescription and it just becomes a little bit tricky kind of going down that route to try and kind of meet this growing kind of deluge of individuals trying to trying to get diagnosed so we kind of covered the awareness being good bad useful not useful it's a bit of everything but I'm actually also curious you you kind of touched on interestingly Tana you said about your love for adrenaline is that related do you think to your to your diagnosis or is that two completely different reasons I actually think funnily enough I actually think that um like I think people that have um, ADHD in particular are really they, they like extreme sports or they will like things that get your heart pumping. So you will often find if you go into an NHS theatre, there are probably quite diverse from a neurological perspective individuals there. So you'll often hear people with medical industry saying, oh, surgeons, they're a different breed of people. They're very, very odd. You have to be odd to be able to cut people open for a living, first and foremost. Um, and often the people that can work with them in synergy are people that are also not neurotypical because we understand we're better under pressure. I think I saw a quote the other day. Um, so it's ADHD people are feel calm under pressure, but feel pressure in the calm. So uh, that's that for me kind of sums it up. I love I love being put under pressure. But when I'm calm, well, when I'm in the calm, I feel like, oh, oh my God, what, what, what's going on? <laughs> so this is why we can all associate, because I actually we were talking at our kind of well-being thrive session last week, how boredom can help me thrive, but also help sabotage. Because if I'm sitting down, I have to have done everything to mm. feel like I've earned the sit down. Otherwise, I sit down and then feel anxious. Oh, my goodness, I'm, I'm, I'm meant to be relaxing. I can't relax because I've got these jobs that I need to do. I, I feel like there's an element of everybody can have. It's just your personality as well, to an extent. And how much is a, is a spiky profile versus how much is you just, you know, I need to chill out <laughs> and stop cleaning things. But how does how does kind of neurodiversity impact you day to day? Like This is a well-being podcast, so... We've talked about, yeah, extreme sports. Um, so firstly, you know, how does it have an impact on your well-being? Is, that, is it positive or perhaps is it from a negative perspective? From For me, um, I wouldn't really say that it's positive or negative. I would say it just is. So for me, you could flip a coin. Some days I'm great and I'm on fire, as people would say. Um, and, and things I say the right things and I do the right things and I'm on time and I'm really sharp and I'm focused. And I'm crazy productive. And on those days, sometimes I can do a week's worth of work in like five hours. And then after that, I am like dead as a dodo. Like I, I, I just I feel tapped out. I've all peopled out and I'll slow for a little while. Uh, and it might be a, for a day. It could be for a week. But it depends on what particular task it was that I was hyper fixated on. Something something people often get wrong about me is that I'm naturally a really sociable person. Um, I am not. I hate people. No, I'm, just, I'm just joking. I don't hate people. <laughs> um, but part of my um, of dealing with my early diagnosis of ADHD as a young adult is that I had crippling social anxiety. So and I still do, depending on the situation. So I will often overthink my interactions with people all the time. I think, was I too much? Was I not loud enough? Was I a bit too opinionated in this space? So I often have to mask whatever I'm feeling to try and hide some of my discomfort. 
or my anxiety in social situations. So I'll end up being like hyper focused on one particular conversation. So you'll often find um, and my colleagues will laugh if, when they hear this because you'll often find we'll be in a group situation and there'll be one person that I am just laser focused on and we're having a really intense conversation whilst everything else is going on in the room because it's just too much stimulus for me and then I might see someone from the other side of the room be like oh they they looked at me and laughed are they talking about me what did I say have I got like do I have tissue on my shoes like just you'll have all of these like annoyingly intrusive thoughts that will completely distract you from what it is that you're trying to do and and we really want things to be perfect because we don't like criticism. Generally, we're quite sensitive to criticism. Um, so I had to learn quite quickly that you've got to be OK with things not being perfect sometimes, because when you're striving for perfection all the time, it can lead you to procrastinate because you're you're never going to achieve the perfect end result. You're never going to be completely happy with it. And I'm impulsive. I can sometimes speak without thinking, Beth. <laughs> <laughs> that that and that does get me into trouble sometimes. Sometimes my mouth runs faster than than uh, my brain. But yeah, um, yeah, that's my day to day. Diana, do you think? Because a lot of the things that you've spoken about are things that I completely and utterly have lived and breathed with my whole soul and had so much therapy, like hours and hours of therapy to get through. Just yeah. therapy. I, I don't know because obviously I haven't ever had a diagnosis of anything. I've just always had incredibly low self-esteem and needed loads and loads of like therapy for it. But does do, does it work in the same way? Does therapy help work and go through those processes? Just, I'm just curious. I've had 17 years of therapy because of, <laughs> because of my lived experience as a young yeah. person. Um, and there is research, there is a growing body of research out there that says that, um, you know, some people develop ADHD traits as a result of tra childhood trauma. So it's not necessarily a biological thing. It's just a, a neural pathways that you learn and, and coping mechanisms that you learn as part of that. So for me, therapy does help because it teaches you to sort of self-reflect and self-regulate. So, you know, trying to be a bit logical about some of the situations that you find yourself in. And, you know, whether it's a you thing, whether it's a situation thing, whether it's the other person thing. And I think I won't speak for all people with ADHD, but myself, certainly, I am very um, receptive to other people's emotions. So if I can feel that someone is not OK, for me, it's just like, oh, my God, this is like this is just way too much. Whereas for some other people, it'd be like, oh, she's just having a little bit of a bad day. But for me, it's just like, whoa. So, yeah, therapy is good. Therapy is good. How about you, Charlie? So for me, and I don't want um, people to think I'm just saying this because I work at Unum and it, uh, we're doing the podcast. But since starting my role at Unum, I feel like I can see the positives of neurodiversity. I've been able to feel valued um, and supported rather than ashamed or scared to admit when I need further support because it's classed as a burden. And I think that is together con contributed to the better management of my mental health. Um, previously I have suffered with my mental health I've had therapy myself because I started becoming a perfectionist I needed to go 150 miles an hour all the time throughout school everything that was written was always sent back to me that's not good enough that's not right for me when I was reading it back it made sense in my head when I was reading it uh, I knew what I was saying so I couldn't actually pick out what was wrong with my work and um, so that then 
affected me and my mental well-being because I took that away from the academic side and started having that um, impact like with relationships with people and my day-to-day actions so I know a lot of people may think um, dyslexia is just academic it's just writing it's just spelling it's just pronunciation or mispronunciation as I do a lot Um, but it contributes to me putting huge amounts of my uh, pressure on myself day to day in my work life and in my personal life which then contributes to feelings of me being overwhelmed me being really fatigued because my mind is always telling me that have I done that right or by doing this at 100% it's going to make up for the difficulties and uh, aspects that I lack due to the diagnosis Um, and I think this is mainly due to being diagnosed at a later age it was never picked up in school it was never picked up in college it was actually picked up two days before my dissertation hand in so um, as I was about to hand my dissertation in um, my lecturer pulled me in and was like Charlie I do think you need to go for dyslexia testing you're making up words so in my head, I thought, I'm not getting an award. I'm making up my own words. These could be added to the dictionary. <laughs> but um, unfortunately, it was two days before handing. I was reading back my work and I didn't know what to correct. I didn't know how to reword things. And I sort of felt relief at that point. I did go on to get the diagnosis, but I thought, all these, all this time in school that I spent summers sat in revising while my friends were out because I thought I weren't clever enough. Um, I missed out on a lot of that social interaction or burnt myself out by trying to stay social whilst trying to better be my smartness (laughs) I've just made that up there but um yeah I just think it can have the positive and negative impacts and although we've touched on diagnosis may not change too much um I've got that understanding sat here talking to you now of why I differ from my peers um it's not something that I always have control over I may have control over slight bits of it um like work checking or spell check that side of things but it's not anything that is my fault. Um, nothing I've done has caused this. I am celebrating being me, uh, being crazy, being wacky, neurospicy, as you, you called it before. And I think that if anyone else is listening to this who thinks, you know what, um, I can relate to that, regardless of if you've got that diagnosis or not, just know, celebrate your differences and don't be afraid to like ask for help or say to people, do you know what, I am struggling with this and and know that that's okay. Don't ever feel internally stuck that it's just you it's a you problem and it, there's something wrong with you I like that that's a really important thing to say it's it, 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 uh, things that I heard that you was talking about is that the being included feeling that sense of inclusion makes a massive difference to your well-being people understanding you understanding your needs which actually is universal we should just understand everybody as a manager I want to know what makes my team tick what things they like don't like how I can support them if they've got something extra that I need to be considerate of I want to know that but if I'm a friend of someone I have to be conscious as I was just explaining before about my stepdaughter is everything's incredibly literal so if I if I do a I can't explain how I would do it but you know sometimes you might write a past tense question it's it's it you're writing about something in the future, but you put a no. Do you want to do that no? Should we go there no? Like I, I can't explain it, but there's like a double negative or something. She will completely miss it. She can't. She can only answer a, the specific question as opposed to any intonation from the wording, and and she does prefer a lot of voice notes, which means incredibly hard to understand everything because there's a lot of very very fast talking. But it's just little things like that where we've noticed as parents how we can improve our communication. Because texting back and forth doesn't work. I actually ended up getting both my eldest diaries, which sounds really silly, but 
particularly the younger one, she doesn't take things from the phone and put them into something to then order and manage her life. And then will constantly become, I'm supposed to be doing something. What am I doing? And then asks you again. And when am I? So I bought them diaries and pens. (laughs) And we sat on Boxing Day and I was like, right, (laughs) this is happening here and this is happening here just to try and help get that kind of order. So that feeling of inclusion understanding of the reasons why your reasons why I'm struggling with this because of this and that can really really help actually with your sense of well-being because you you've got a bit of a an explanation and feeling accepted and feeling understood so the the use of all of these things that you're saying actually that's the positive impact it can have because you feel accepted you feel understood not only by peers colleagues work friends but by yourself yeah. which seems to be the hardest thing for individuals to accept but the other bit that really stands out for me from both of you is that it can be exhausting Mm. it's extremely tiring because you're trying to constantly navigate the difficulties that you might be facing you don't want what you're going through to impact your day-to-day life so you're always trying to push that extra bit my youngest couldn't work out why her words well she did she thought her words was always meant to float off the page so we would be oh, having these massive arguments on, on when it was homework homework was, it was always done at our house come on just why are you not doing it I don't understand just all this arguing and there was always difficulty and then one day um the diagnosis came and she was like reading at the six or seven year old level when she was nearly going into secondary school you know it was a big difference and they, and we said well, what does it look like and she was like well the words are always floating off the page, but I assume they always were. So she's reading and she's trying to follow this trail of words. And it just, it'd been shat- it had been, that's why she was always shouting and screaming at homework because it was just so hard and so tiring. She just didn't want to do it. So that understanding and then accepting and then being able to support you and, and have the tools, you know, like the green cover and all of that sort of stuff. So thank you. I really appreciate, I, I do dig a little bit and ask some, uh, have, have some therapy. Tell me about your therapy. <laughs> <laughs> but what I've suggested a few things and talked about a few things, but what actually, what what else helps? What can we do as a society or as an employer or a friend? Like, what can we make sure that we can be doing to help and support you? Yvonne, my colleague, when we was on the last podcast, she keeps tiring me with saying this sentence that I don't recall saying, but it's such a good sentence that I'm just going to pretend I did say it, which is uh, a rising tide floats all ships. And it's just that idea that if we're if we're just friendly and helpful and kind and accommodating for everyone, then everyone succeeds rather than let's just focus in on you and your one difficulty. Other people might benefit from that use or that resource or something because we could all be anyway, that's something that I've always kept in my my head after that. I'm sure I didn't say it, but she keeps saying that I did and I'm just gonna own it. That's really that's I, I really like that saying actually, and the points that I'm going to give you or you can actually apply them to anybody so regardless of whether you've got a a diagnosis or or not the first thing is always ask us what we need so don't make assumptions you know if you've met one person with ADHD you've met one person with ADHD (laughs) whilst you might be aware of some of the things that can affect us everybody's different so ask us what we need there's only one of us Uh, I think when you're giving feedback because you may often have 
situations where you've got to you've got to manage behavior or 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 give feedback about um interactions or behaviors with people i would say as a person say what you see so don't make assumptions about why someone is behaving in a way that they're behaving because that really isn't helpful and what you think you know you may not actually be the case so say what you see so like uh, you know i noticed that during the team meeting today you seemed you you came across as quite annoyed by something one of your colleagues had said Are you is it okay if we explore that a little bit and that that then takes it away from an accusation of like saying well you are the problem to being a little bit more like it's using inclusive non-inflammatory language so it's just saying radical candor Tiana radical candor yeah yeah but it requires <laughs> radical listening it does require radical listening too. So, um, so yeah, say what you see. And obviously, I would say be kind. So you don't always necessarily know what's going on for that individual biologically. So I'm perimenopausal at the moment. I have had two hormonal outbursts <laughs> in the last couple of weeks that have meant that I'm a little bit more reactive than I normally would be typically. Um, so always try to assume positive intent. But if they are showing up to work and don't seem like themselves or you don't or this person is new to you, instead of making jumps, judgments or assumptions about a person's behaviour, just check in with them. Chances are they're probably having a bad day or in my case, they're hormonal and um, they're not even aware sometimes that they're coming across the way that they are or that's not their intention. I'd also say remove ambiguity. So try to be explicit. So if you. Uh, I had a, a prime example the other day. One of my colleagues sent me an email, a one-liner, as you do at three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, oh, I need this for um, the onboarding session. It needs to be a quick turnaround time. So for me, receiving that after I'd planned my day and I finished typically at 4.30 and it's three o'clock in the afternoon, I'm literally thinking she wants it now. She needs a turn turnaround quick turnaround is like you need to do it before close of play in my mind so I was like panicking thinking I've got so much to do I can't finish it all before I go and then I've got an appointment after work and I just can't can't go um, and I snapped back at her unintentionally but I was just literally just like I can't I, I, I've got conflicting priorities I've got other things that are due at this time and then her reaction was oh well I wasn't expecting you to have it done by the end of the day. And it's just like, well, if you were a bit more explicit and you said, look, I need this by latest this date, then it removes that ambiguity and I don't have a panic or a little mini meltdown in my mind. And I would say that we're really passionate about everything. So if it's something that we're interested in, we are really passionate about it. So for me, it's IND, obviously. So I'm really passionate when I talk about it. If you give us something to do, that is naturally something that we are interested in, we are more likely to run at that with 150% than if you give us something that's really not playing to our strengths. So whilst we have to develop those skills, I would say we will need more support. If you know that it's not playing to our strengths, we're going to need a lot more support around achieving what it is that you want us to achieve. But if you give us something that is our strength, we will run for it things that could help me um, and other people as well that could go for everyone. It's just that open and honest communication, as I've said previously, life's hard enough. Don't make it harder for people. Like that's what I always say. Just be kind, just be supportive. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Just like, how does this impact you as an individual? 
Um, and that is not just as soon as an employee, a friend, a family member gets a diagnosis of any sort, physical health, mental health, neuro, neuro, I can't say it, sorry, neurodiversity, <laughs> example of the dyslexia there. Um, <laughs> it is also making sure you're doing that regular checking, especially as employers as well, because it's not just the difficulties they say there and then, or this is what you can do to help me right here, right now. It doesn't mean they don't change the goalposts move, things change. Uh, we have different difficulties at different stages of our lives, depending on what's going on as well. So just um, celebrating the differences between peers, supporting with them difficulties um, as without that it creates that uh, knock-on effect uh, mentally and physically so that positivity and the support creates that positive knock-on effect mentally and physically um, specifically in the workplace that work-life balance and speaking um, for myself as someone who has neurodiversity I already put a lot of pressure on myself daily I, I probably do that all the time subconsciously without realizing so something that may seem small to other people could be like the end of the world for me that day um for example the communication piece um i don't mind teams uh, anyone who knows me knows i love a voice note that uh, my friends call me the charlie uh, novelist or charlie podcasts when i send one but something that may be interpreted different so just watching how you type um for me if i get a message saying can we have a meeting with no context behind that i will automatically think worst case scenario i'm fired i've read it in a really negative tone and then my anxiety goes sky high i may have loads of other meetings in that day before that end end one and i'm panicking then all day so uh, just sort of like discussing how do you interpret feedback best or communication um knowing when to voice note when to pop a, a team's message when to pop an email over obviously within work demands and what you're able to do um, and it just means that then me personally i'll be able to express myself back in the correct way um i've found that since uh, working at a, a desk-based job as such where i am emailing a lot more i use a lot of emojis and I feel like it's because I panic about how my emails come across, knowing that I'm dyslexic, that I am an over emoji. So some people will think, well, that's not very corporate. But for me, you're getting a smiley whether you like it or not. Happy Monday. <laughs> so um, I think that also helps. <laughs> I absolutely love that. I love I I like the play to the strengths specifically because you everyone has different strengths. I had a, a friend at school and he was um, dyslexic had dyslexia I don't know if the, what the right term is has dyslexia lives with dyslexia and he um he had an incredible memory because he couldn't rely on being able to read things to prompt his memory so he just had this he would remember everything and he managed to get through all of his GCSEs and A-levels from memory really really struggled when it got to degree level because it was very different way of approaching things but that really sort of always fascinated me because they, they, he could really, really under, like remember things so well. And actually, this is this is completely not research or anything. This is me and my watching awful reality TV shows. But I wear these particular trainers. I wear mallet trainers. And the guy that runs the whole, the worldwide multi-million pound brand is got ADHD. And he was talking about how, because he got diagnosed really, really late on in life, halfway through being very, very successful as as the founder, co-founder of his particular brand. And he was like, I've, he because he broke down, his mental health just broke. And he was like, I can't work out why I'm having therapy all the time. I'm looking after myself. But it was because he'd almost burnt himself out without the diagnosis. He didn't really understand what why he was because he, he was so hyper fixated on his job on his company growing and growing and growing and it was interesting because then 
when they obviously it's a reality show they do all different things and they brought his reports out and his reports was always like he needs to read more he needs to concentrate more he needs to understand he needs to do this he needs to do that and his dad actually said oh yeah do you remember when you did um a project on I think it was monkeys or something like that and he said because you weren't concentrating and I said to the teacher and I, well, he hadn't got diagnosis or anything but it was all now it's just it's all so obvious isn't it it's, especially what you were saying Tiana about like give me something that I'm good at give me something I'm successful at play to my strengths and he said to the teacher he loves monkeys I don't know if it was monkeys give him a give him a project on monkeys and he absolutely smashed it everything made it was all done it was all because he loved it and he enjoyed it and then obviously he got to the trainers and he's incredibly passionate about that and now with the diagnosis and with the medication it's he was like I didn't realize that you didn't have to have 10 open tabs in your brain constantly you didn't have to be thinking about these things all the time you could just have one topic that you were focusing on and it was revolutionary but it just I know it's just a reality tv show but it really has highlighted how you can be incredibly successful there's no reason why you should have anything that's limiting but that the whole world makes more sense sometimes when you have a diagnosis sometimes you've got that kind of the the clarity of what you're experiencing understanding how you should be best how you can best communicate with how that could or couldn't trigger you you mentioned about the the kind of the being kind and the importance of playing to the strengths and good communication how does what you're living with impact you i think they're really really important concepts now i'm really conscious of of time so i think we've kind of i wanted to ask you about the the diagnosis piece but i think we've actually already covered that about being you know, the time it takes to be diagnosed. But I am curious if you, I mentioned about the rising tide floating all ships. Do we need diagnoses? I'll go with you first, Charlie. Do we need diagnosis? I'm incredibly interested. I'm 50-50, so I'd just be curious to hear what your perception is. You know, we need to be considerate of others' learning needs. We need to have diversity of thought, how people feel, but do we need to delve into diagnosis or do we just need to be really accepting and think about how we can make everybody feel like they can do what they want to do whenever they want to do it? Yeah, I think I feel similar to you, Beth, like 50-50, because I feel personally that a diagnosis doesn't define you. It doesn't take away from any difficulties you're experiencing because no, no matter what the difficulties are related to, they're still valid to you. But then for some neurodiversity, uh, for example, ADHD, you can have medication prescribed, but things like uh, ASD, dyslexia, this medication isn't a thing for them. So I think sometimes depending on the difficulties you're having, how severe they may be and how much they impact in your life daily, um, a diagnosis helps with that side of things. But um, I don't think it's the be all and end all of having the diagnosis. Just again, for me, I felt like I was a failure during my academic years, scoring high on um, all my practical exams, but written work really low, having to resit. And in uni, as you know, um, I still look back and think I could have got a better score in my degree if I wasn't capped at 40 for every reset, which really dragged my score down. I had no awareness about um, dyslexia. I had no, not really any understanding of neurodiversity of anything. I feel probably I was quite ignorant looking back because I didn't go out my way to try and understand either. It was weren't talked about. It's not something I did any other research about, which I look back now and think I wish I had. But obviously I did at the time what I knew was best. And I just don't 
I think sometimes if you ever feel like the odd one out or you are really having difficulties, a diagnosis helps from that mental perspective of understanding you and accepting yourself. But a diagnosis doesn't actually change anything. Um, I hope I've explained that right. But yeah, I think it just sort of highlights the struggles that you're having a valid and it's not reflection on you. But if you feel that diagnosis is going to help you as a person internally with the acceptance piece or absolutely anything along that side of things, then yeah, I do think it's beneficial. For me, if you if I put my inclusion hat on, I would say everybody just needs to be more inclusive, right? <laughs> um, but if I put my school nurse hat on uh, and I think about all of the young people that I've helped over the years navigate the school system to get the support that they need, I would say that the, it, a, from a diagnosis perspective, it's helpful if you are still in education and you're a young person, because as Charlie said, it 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 really does shape how you develop as a young person it develop, it, it impacts how you see yourself um compared to your peers and already social media makes us compare ourselves to you know unattainable yeah. <laughs> levels of everything and so when you are really young and you're really vulnerable um if you don't have a diagnosis it's sometimes really difficult to advocate for yourself in that space so i think on one hand, as an adult, I don't think a diagnosis changes much for you. If you're already in the working world, uh, a heightened maybe self-awareness is helpful. I'd say cooperative feedback from your colleagues and your peers, your line managers, you know, that, that com- with that compassionate lens um, for you as a person, as an individual, is definitely helpful, but not necessary. Diagnosis isn't necessary as an adult, but for young people, I would say, yeah, it makes the road a lot easier. It's interesting because actually the other part of it is that if you have a title, then you've got a protected characteristic. So it would mean that you're more safe from a performance management perspective because they would need to make reasonable adjustments. And I think that's a really, really key part of it as well. You know, you said about navigating yeah. support at school as an adult. If you made, you know, Charlie, in our in our area, of it's constantly report writing. If you were constantly making mistakes and then getting pulled up from a QA perspective, you would we would that we would want to be able to give someone reasonable adjustments i.e talk to text or something like that so that they didn't have to make these um, mistakes so I think there's the balance all the way through but I will say reasonable adjustments from an IND perspective are not just for people with protected characteristics anyone can ask for a reasonable adjustment so I think that I completely agree with you but that is something to bear in mind like not everybody needs you know, if you're going through menopause, do you need a, a medical certificate to say that you need some? Yeah, some I think that we shouldn't be questioning anyone anyway. If someone says they've got yeah. something, why yeah. would they bother saying it? The only thing is, if there is a like a massive capability piece above their head, but it's a whole that's a whole other avenue anyway. But I suppose yeah. that brings me on to my next and final question. Really, was the, about the stigma piece because some people may not actually be open and say I need any adjustments though that be menopause neurodiversity mental health whatever it might be because they don't want to have anything that makes them stand out they feel like there's potentially negative press against it so yeah do you or have you ever felt a stigma either of you I'd say a little bit but um probably maybe not as much as um, different types of neurodiversity like um, ASD, ADHD. I think with dyslexia, it's more you looked on maybe your 
uh, you're thick you don't get things as quick as others or you're stupid you don't pick things up you, you take things down in the wrong context I feel like the stigma I put on myself more than anything if I'm being honest I feel like I give myself the stigma of you need to work harder because you're lazy or how can you spell that wrong so um yeah I think I've, I have felt it but not from people close to me but um I also tar myself with that stigma I think from my perspective I have had I would say I've experienced stigma but not necessarily with an ADHD specific focus it's more of a oh you are too much like it's a I've often been described as like marmite like oh my god you're just too too high energy for me or you're too loud or you're too like too direct I often get that a lot because for me it's really I, I get distracted by my thoughts so quickly so it's really important that I just say what I think I've learned that I've got to put filter on it sometimes <laughs> to make it workplace friendly. But you have to, you know, it it's easy for people to just be like, oh, to look at you as a person as a whole, not necessarily understand you and just kind of make snap judgments about you based on how you present. And actually, I am quite a quirky individual and it's my I think my ADHD contributes to that for sure but also my lived experience in the world has also contributed to that. So it's kind of a, yes, I've experienced stigma, but it's more of a Tiana stigma as opposed to an ADHD stigma, if that makes sense. I feel like we're all in that, that but I'm constantly thinking, what did I do? Did I say the right thing? Am I being too loud? I hate that. I hate that bedtime voice. Mm. Get rid of that bedtime <laughs> voice. So I really, really appreciate the time that you've taken, the honesty, the the, the kind of just sharing from your perspectives. And, and again, both of you said you're not talking on behalf of every single individual with neurodiversity. This is just your experience. And that's the whole point of it. It's a lived experience podcast. But it is a really important topic. And I wanted to make sure that you were both heard. Is there anything else that you feel you wanted to just raise as one last final point before we close? For me, it's anyone listening to this, I think it's really important that you have humility, whether you've got ADHD or whether you're managing team members that you think might have ADHD or 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 you're managing teams in general, have some humility. You don't know everything. People with ADHD don't know everything. Um, and sometimes we don't even know why we are the way we are. Sometimes our sort of neuroses and the conversations that we have are still unknown to us. So um, I think have some humility when interacting with people generally and know that we are all human and therefore we are all flawed. So, you know, it's having that, having that humility lens going into anything, I think helps with the whole getting curious about people rather than making snapper judgments and assumptions. So that's my takeaway. Mine is just, again, as I said, all the way through celebrating your differences, communicating with family, friends and peers, express how, you're impacted individually don't expect people to know like I did for years I expected people to know how I work and I thought hang on I didn't even I didn't even know how I worked um and that caused a lot of isolation whereas that open communication where you feel able to will help in managing relationships in all aspects inside of work outside of work even with day-to-day interactions like nipping to the shop just having that understanding about others you meet people daily who are fighting a battle you know nothing about you don't know anything going on with them just be kind just be understanding and where possible just just offer that that support to people I think as well if something isn't working for you please always speak up so for example really really quick um that speech to text um, technology I use but the read back to you 
it doesn't work for me because what I've wrote, it makes sense in my head. So it doesn't pick up for me that that doesn't make sense. Don't be afraid to ask if there's anything else or alternatives um, for your difficulties. Don't think that once you've been offered some support that that ends there. That's pretty much the end of the podcast, guys. I just want to say thank you very much, guys. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your participation. And to those that are listening, I hope you took something away from today. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you. Thank you.